0: Scripture reading this morning is a good one, 2 Chronicles 34, verses 1 through 3. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a boy, he began to seek the God of his ancestor David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the sacred poles, and the carved and the cast images. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. And let me pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's wonderful to have you all here today. So great to see you, and we're so glad that you're here. For those of you who are on the live stream, we're glad that you can join us as well. We know that there's a lot of pressure right now. There's a lot of restrictions coming down in a lot of ways. So to be able to gather in the way that we are is a real gift. Thank you for being here. Let me um, run a scenario past you as we uh, start that if you have young kids, you know it really well. If you had young kids, you'll remember it. Maybe if you're in the grandparent age, uh, you'll, you'll relate with this as well. So there's a conflict between two children, either siblings or cousins or friends, and the kid that you are responsible for uh, throws something at the other child in anger. So what do you do? You pull that child aside, and you explain to them in the most plain, non-emotional way possible that what they did was wrong. Right, You explain to them why it was wrong, and then they have to go and make it right. It's not enough to just know that it was wrong, they have to go and make it right. They need to apologize for their behavior. And then after that great pep talk that you gave to them, they, they walk over to the child that they have wronged, and they say, sorry, in a flat, perfunctory sort of manner, and they start to walk away. What do you do as a parent? Of course, that is not an acceptable response, correct? They need to mean what they're saying So they have to go back and they have to say sorry again. But this time it has to come from their heart. And they have to explain why they did wrong. And they need to do it with clarity. Sometimes children need help knowing how to apologize for things. But I think if any of you are are watching the world today, you know that adults aren't really any better. And we need some help sometimes too. How many non-apology apologies have you heard from adults in your life? if I said anything to offend you, I'm sorry, right? Or I apologize for that, but that kind of thing. I think we all need help sometimes in properly knowing how to say sorry, and then to not just say it in a perfunctory way, but begin to actually make things right. So we are halfway through a four-week series entitled, We Want a King. And this series is particularly appropriate for us in this election, post-election season that's still sort of lingering in a lot of ways. In this season of COVID, in this this polarized, sort of politicized season that we're in, it's a heavy time right now. If you're feeling heavy, that's probably how you should feel. It is a heavy time right now. So it's good for us to address that heaviness, and this is how we've chosen to do that. That phrase, we want a king, comes from 1 Samuel chapter 8, where the people of Israel ask for a king, even though God is already serving as their king. God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And and this God, Yahweh, never intended his people Israel to be like every other nation that had kings, that had monarchies, that had warrior kings. So the guiding premise of this series has been that the division and confusion and polarization that we feel and that we're experiencing very viscerally right now isn't as unprecedented as it may seem. We might throw that word around. And I've said this a couple weeks now, and maybe you know it by heart. If there's biblical precedence for the season that we are in and what we're experiencing, that means that there also must be biblical wisdom for us to glean. And that's what we're trying to do. So in the first two weeks, we looked at two hallmarks of divided kingdoms. Just as a little bit of review. First, we, we recognize that in divided kingdoms, the people reject God, and they misplace their hope in earthly leaders. They choose earthly leaders instead. Second, we talked about last week, they replace God with idols. Those earthly leaders oftentimes become idol figures for us, and those leaders lead us into more adultery in our lives. So, those are the problems. The same ones that Israel faced, the ones that we face today in our divided culture. Now, we've recognized what we've done wrong in the last couple weeks. Our part in that division that we experience it's not outside of us it's not somebody else it's also in us right it's in our families it's in our hearts our rejection of God our replacing of God with idols with objects that are not worthy of worship so we need to learn to say sorry like we mean it and we need to learn how to make it right to make amends so the next two weeks uh, are going to be a little different these first two weeks we talked about the hallmarks of a divided nation how we got here and now the next two weeks or how we can pick up the pieces and put them back together. We're going to get practical over the next two Sundays on how we can combat division. And again, thankfully, it is scripture that leads the way in this for us, with a story of hope and goodness in the midst of a lot of pain and difficulty. So we left off last week in the divided kingdom of Israel. We had just had 90 years of united rule under one king. Three different kings over those 90 years, Saul, David, and Solomon. We saw the good qualities and the, and the bad qualities of them last week. And then the kingdom after Solomon divides into two nations, north and south, and they each have their own kings. And it's really, honestly, a rotten procession of kings. If, if you read through 1 and 2 Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and you follow the chains of these kings in, the, in, in Israel and in Judah, the, the divided nations, you see, over and over again, the description of these kings is, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They turned away from David's way. They died a horrible death. It's, kind of, it's just depressing to read over and over again this procession of really bad kings. But there's one king, King Josiah, who didn't follow this, this pattern. And he becomes instructive for us. Now, I think it's tempting to look at the life of King Josiah and go, see, that's the kind of leader we need to elect. That's the kind of leader we need to put in power. And, and certainly we can pray for that. But remember, we're not putting our hope in earthly leaders. Even the best earthly leaders fail us. Instead, I think that King Josiah models for each and every one of us how to combat division, even in the midst of the most divided times. And to combat division, what does Josiah do? He combats division with repentance. With repentance. So Josiah was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah from 640 B.C. to 609 B.C., He took over the kingship at age eight. Pretty awesome, right? At the age of eight. And the text tells us that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of his ancestor David. What was David's nickname? A man after God's own heart. He didn't turn from the right or the left. He does not follow the pattern of kings that went before him. And instead, he recognizes the way in which God's people have done wrong. And instead of a perfunctory, sorry God, He takes tangible steps to make it right. He repents. Now, what is repentance? The Hebrew word for repentance is a beautiful word. Most Hebrew words, I think, are pretty beautiful. But the word for repentance in Hebrew is teshuva. Teshuva. Isn't that pretty? And it does not mean to be sorry. It doesn't mean to feel bad or to apologize or to wallow. Teshuvah literally means, if you parse out that word, to turn back to God. The imagery is like someone with their hands on your shoulders going, nope, not that direction, this direction. To turn back to God. It's recognizing, hey, I'm headed in the wrong direction, and, and I need to reorient myself back on track. Repentance is not just an admission of wrongdoing or brokenness, but it is a reorienting. It's a decisive action to return to God and to get back On track. And my friends, hear me clearly. No president is going to cure our divisions. No policy is going to make everything right. There's no Senate control that's going to set us on an absolute right path. And and I'm hopeful that we've headed into a new season here, and, and maybe this new season is going to be helpful for us in any number of ways, but it's not going to solve our division. It's when the people of God repent, reorient their lives, Recognize that we're off track and reorient back towards God, that we can actually have hope of healing the division and confusion that we experience. Things like racism and inequality don't go away simply by saying, sorry. It doesn't happen, they require repentance. So when we show contempt for other people, we demonize other people, we don't just say, sorry, we make decisive changes. And Josiah models this repentance for us. And I think he's a fantastic character. In fact, Josiah takes four tangible steps uh, in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. If you want to read his story, 2 Chronicles 34 and 35, it's basically just two chapters. But let me walk through these four tangible steps of repentance that Josiah takes. The first thing Josiah does is he tears down idols. He tears down idols. Let me read this for you. 2 Chronicles 34 In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, sacred poles, carved and cast images. In his presence, they pulled down the altars of the Baals and, and demolished the incense altars that stood above them. He broke down the sacred poles and the carved and cast images. He made dust of them and scattered them over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of those priests on their altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. He broke down the altars, beat the sacred poles and the images into powder and demolished all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. We talked about idolatry last week. For those of you who are here, you can go back and listen to it if you weren't. Repentance cannot happen if we leave space in our hearts for unworthy, outsized objects of worship. Idols have... Incredible spiritual and emotional sway over us. And what does Josiah do? The first thing he does in his kingship that we read about at least is that he goes straight to those places of overt idolatry and he destroys them. He destroys them utterly. Some of you were here last week and and you were able to sort of identify those idols in your life. Both heart idols and cultural idols we talked about. We need to identify those as quickly as possible, and we need to destroy them. If your social media feed is an idol for you, deactivate it. If your work is an idol for you, take a week off, go see a counselor, and start talking about work-life balance. If your idols are ideological or political, I ask you to surrender those to God and ask him to abolish them in your heart and your mind. Whatever that idol is, go after it. And destroy it. I think it's notable that Josiah destroyed these idols publicly, by the way. I think the, if, if we're trying to do this all on our own with, with no one else really knowing what we're, we're trying to destroy, it's probably not going to work very well. It's good for us to bring other people along, make this visible to other people, for our sake and for the sake of accountability going forward as well. So first he tears down, tears down idols. Second thing he does is he restores worship. In the 18th year of his reign, this is continuing in, in chapter 34, 2 Chronicles. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, Maasiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord. They came to the priest Hilkiah and delivered the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, which the Levites, the keepers of the threshold, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel, and from all of Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they delivered it to the workers who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and the workers who were working in the house of the Lord gave it for repairing and restoring the temple. Interesting, right, that once the idols have been demolished, there's room in Israel to worship again. And the same with us. When we have demolished our idols, and we've addressed those, there's room in our hearts and lives for the only worthy object of our worship, which is God. So Josiah renovates the temple so that he can reclaim its prominence as a place of worship. The process of repentance requires a returning to worship God as the king of our hearts, like we sang earlier. I know that the masks are frustrating <laughs> Uh, If you're live streaming, I know that the screen's probably frustrating. You would rather be here, but I do want to commend you. You are here this morning. That's awesome. Way to go. You're already doing part of that repentance just by showing up this morning. You are combating division and fear and confusion because you are worshiping rightly. In order for us to be set on God's way for us, worship of God has to be reinstated in our lives and has to be taken seriously. Okay, the third thing, and this is a cool one. Josiah recommits to God's word. Again, continuing in chapter 34. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, the priest Hilkiah found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Hilkiah said to the secretary, Shaphan, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, and Hilkiah gave him the book, and, and he brought the book to the king. The priest Hilkiah has given me a book. Shaphan said, and read it aloud to the king. Can you imagine that? Reading aloud, hearing this for the first time. Go inquire of the Lord for me and those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of this book that's been found. For the wrath of the Lord has been poured out on us, and it's great because our ancestors didn't keep the word of the Lord to act in accordance with all that is written in this book. So the king sends word and gathers together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And he goes up to the house of the Lord with all the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, both great and small. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, keeping his commandments, his decrees, his statutes, with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to this book. And they acted according to the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. So, just so you can get your head around this part of the story, for generations, the book of the law, the Torah, the first five books of our Bible, the holy scriptures, had been totally forgotten and lost. King after king didn't even go searching for them. They just didn't even care that, they were, that it was there. But when Josiah uncovers this book as they're renovating the temple, he mourns at all that he's been missing and all the people have been missing. And he gathers the people together and he reads the first five books of the Bible in their hearing. Can you just sort of visualize that? Hey, Hey, I, we found this book. We think it's important. We're going to read it aloud and sort of learn together. Listen, we can't reorient our lives towards God without reorienting ourselves to God's word. That's how God has chosen in large part to reveal himself to us. We need to mourn what we've been missing if we have not been deeply immersed in God's word. And we need to start reading it ourselves and reading it together and hearing it together in new ways. I'm quite sure that as they were sitting in that assembly that some of the words that they received were difficult for them. Surely it pained them to realize how far they had strayed and and what kind of work it would take for them to return to God. And I don't think it's any different for us today when we encounter God's word. But what did they do? They trusted God's word and they committed themselves to it. In fact, Josiah renews a covenant with God, which is essentially saying, God, you've been faithful and we haven't, so we're recommitting ourselves to you now. We're entering back into right relationship with you. That is a wonderful model. For us, And it's scripture that's the catalyst for that. And then the fourth thing that Josiah does is he reinstates the Passover. He reinstates the Passover. This is from 2 Chronicles 35, and I jump around a little bit. You can read it a little bit later if you want to. Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the month, and he appointed the priests to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. Um... Make preparations for your ancestral houses by your divisions, following the written directions of King David of Israel and the written directions of his son Solomon. Take position in the holy place. Slaughter the Passover lamb. Sanctify yourselves and, on behalf of your kindred. Make preparations, acting according to the word of the Lord by Moses. And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time. And the festival unleavened bread for seven days, No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah, by the priests and the Levites and all of Judah and Israel who were present and by the inhabitants of Jerusalem. When I read this part of Josiah's story, I've been preparing for this for months, right? This sermon series. When I read this months ago, I actually ran into Joy's office and I was like, Pastor Joy's office, and I was like, did you know this? Did you know that, that Josiah instituted this Passover? What's the Passover? It's this meal that happened to commemorate the beginning of the end of Israel's slavery in Egypt. And God commanded that they keep, a, that they always keep a Passover so that they don't forget God's goodness there. Always. And yet, according to the chronicler, and this is what blew me away, Saul, King Saul didn't keep the Passover. King David, the man after God's own heart, he didn't keep the Passover. Solomon, the one who built the temple in the first place, did not keep the Passover. But Josiah did. That blew me away. He took God's words and commands seriously. Now, maybe you've taken part in a a Passover meal before. I know that I have. But it's not part of our Christian calendar, right, in the same way, because it's superseded and, and reclaimed in many ways by Jesus. More on that next week. So come on back. We'll talk about that. But what is the Passover? It's a tradition. It's a memorial. It's a ritual that keeps God's people centered on him, on his faithfulness in the human story, and keeps God's people oriented towards him. So the last part of repentance, after we've demolished idols and reinstated worship and committed again to God's word, the last thing is we need rhythms and rituals and traditions that keep us centered on God. It might not be a Passover meal, but we need those in our lives. So when you decide to keep the Sabbath, you are, that's, that's a rhythm, that's a ritual that's reorienting you towards God. When you get up early in the morning and pray or spend time in God's word or journaling, when you, when you go for a walk that is just centered on gratitude, or or you gather with a a Christ-following friend on a regular basis, or you make holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas upcoming more than just a Hallmark holiday, when you make them truly Christ-centered through spiritual practices. Anytime you do those kinds of things, you are reorienting yourself through a ritual back to God. You're keeping yourself fixed on him. And that's a form of repentance. It's saying, God, without these rituals, without these kind of rhythms that I'm instituting, I will surely stray, so I'm going to keep this ritual because it means that much to me to be centered upon you. So what happens to King Josiah? Well, he dies in battle uh, at the hands of an Egyptian king not long after this newly discovered Passover meal. But his reign is one of the truly bright spots in all of scripture. In this season of Israel's history, where basically nothing is going well, and everything is bad, and every leader is worse than the last leader, here comes this king, this person, whose life is principled, and humble, and righteous, and earnest, and most of all, is repentant. Repentant. I'm struck as I look at the story of Josiah how how easy it would have been for Josiah to go, hey, these divisions, this whole divided kingdom thing, that is not my fault. I didn't cause this. It's not my problem. He didn't cause this division. But instead, what does he do? He takes the divided kingdom that he's in and all its vices, and he repents and begins to reorient his life towards God and make changes. There's no... Sorry, God, from Josiah. That's not what he does. Josiah says, my God, I'm sorry, and I'm reforming my life to be reoriented around you again. Here's the most important thing. This divisive, partisan, politicized, acrimonious, polarized world that we find ourselves in right now. We need to recognize that it's in us first. It's not happening outside of us. It's in us as well. It's in our hearts. It'd be so easy to go, no, 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 it's not me. It's, it's, this is stuff that's happening outside of me. I'm not creating unjust laws or developing fake news or going to political rallies or firing off incendiary social media posts. But we need to recognize that that divisiveness and, and contempt and fear and exclusivism, it does reside in us. It resides in me. I all too often reject God. I put my trust in worldly things. I fall prey to idols. I might not be the driving force of acrimony and division in our country and culture, but it's in me. <laughs> so I need to repent of that. I need to tear down the idols and get back to worshiping God and get deeper in God's word, and set rhythms and rituals that keep me centered on God. This is repentance, and it's far more effective than any vote that you can cast, or petition you can sign, or virtue you can signal, or rally you can go to. Josiah models for us coming back to God, and saying so much more than sorry. He said, I'm giving my life, to making this right because I'm not satisfied living in a divided kingdom. If you're not satisfied with where we are as a society and a nation and as a people, would you join me in repentance? Would you join me in realizing the ways in which we've gone astray and then spending our time turning our lives back to God? And the good news in that, always end with good news, right? Is that God forgives and God accepts and God offers hope? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this example, this sterling example of King Josiah in a time of great division and difficulty and confusion, and acrimony, and war, and anger. You give us this bright light of a person who chooses the way of repentance. Who orients his life towards you, and re worship, tears down idols, goes deeply into your word, sets rituals in life that keep him focused on you. Lord, we're thankful. Lord, what a ray of hope he is that even in a a time of scripture that's so hard to read about and so discouraging and frustrating that here comes this good man who models for us what it means to combat division through repentance. Thank you for King Josiah. And Lord, I know that his work of of repentance and reforming in his life did not save Israel's people from their sin, did not save them from exile, did not spare them every ill, did not permanently turn them towards you. But Lord, for those years that you gave him breath, Lord, you brought about a peace through this person, this king, this man. Lord, would you give us the same grace to be agents of unity and love and care that we might combat division through repentance. So, Lord, we take just the gift of silence that we have in this place, in this beautiful place where we are. And we just lift up each of those things that Josiah models for us in our own lives. Lord, would you reveal our idols to us in this time And might we hand those over to you and ask your help in abolishing them. We take just a moment to identify those, Lord, and lay them before you. Lord, with space in our hearts that those idols can so Quickly take up, would you take that space, Lord, and, and would you reinstitute a worship of you? Might we reinstitute a, a worship of you, the only one who is worthy in our lives? Lord, would you reveal yourself in your word? Almost as if it's like you're revealing yourself for the first time like you did to Josiah. Would your scripture speak to us in such a way that it cuts to our hearts and causes change in our lives? Lord, would you create in us a heart that wants to recommit ourselves to your word? And Lord, would you impress upon us and reveal to us rhythms that we can have in our lives, that we can take, that keep us centered on you, not just once a year, but every day. Rhythms, rituals that we have that cause us to return, to turn back to you.